I, uh, I changed my sermon today. Now, don't, don't panic. Don't say, oh no, he's going to do another off-the-cuff thing. No, I, I mean, I changed it earlier in the week from what I had planned. And, and uh, I told the ladies, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And, and, and so this is, a, I've, I've got notes and everything. So uh, don't, don't fret too much. Um, I'm not winging it. So, <clears throat> but as we come to the end of this series on Jesus... Um, I was I was thinking about a number of things, and and we've looked at his some of his teachings, his parables. We've looked at some of his miracles. Uh, we have looked at the, just a number of things that he he did. But I keep coming back to the question that you're looking at right now: Who is Jesus? Who is he? And, and we know all the passages. We can almost quote them by rote. We know the party line. We can say, well, you know, Jim, he's, the, he's God's son. He's our savior. He's our Lord. And I know that. And, and, and I know all those passages as well as you do. But I still have that burning question. Who really is he? And, and as it is today, as it was back then, there are all kinds of opinions concerning Jesus. And these are just a few. Uh, I pulled these from, I think, John chapter 7. That he's demon-possessed. He's crazy. There are some people who said, no, he's just raving mad. And others said, no, he's, he's the prophet. Some said he was the Messiah. Now, I agree that he's the Messiah, but the problem was they had a skewed vision of who the Messiah was. They thought the Messiah was someone who was going to come in and overthrow the Roman government, and he was going to rule, and, and you know, no more Roman domination, and, and he is going to be the king. I mean, after all, the guy could... Uh, could uh, he could uh, make bread and he could make fish? He could he could double uh, portions like that. And as anybody who is in the army knows, you got to have a good supply line. Well, we don't need a supply line necessarily. We got a guy who can make it. But they misunderstood. Others said, "No, he's he's a good man," and I take that as as. Someone saying, well, he's not anything special as far as that's concerned, but he's just a good guy. We have some of the same opinions today as they did back then. There were those that were awed by his presence. I think about the temple guards who were sent out to arrest him. And they come back and they say, no one has ever spoken the way this man does. You remember when, when John the Baptist sent people out, John the Baptist even was a little confused and said, ask, are you the one or, you know, should we look for someone else? And, they, and Jesus told them, he said, you know, go back and show them. Go back and tell them. 
Go back and tell them that the, the blind see and the lame walk. And even the centurion at the foot of the cross. A guy who had no connection with Jesus whatsoever other than he stood there basically guarding the whole scene. And he said, surely this man was the son of God. Jesus even asked his own disciples, who do people say that I am? He's asking that question. Who, who do you think I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. In fact, there was a, 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 a Jewish feeling that Elijah would come back. In fact, you remember even at Jesus' death, uh, when he asked for uh, something to drink, he said, I'm thirsty. And they said, well, no, no, wait, let's see if Elijah comes back. And, and there's, a, there's a part that's a little confusing to me uh, because John the Baptist was Elijah. And, and people asked him, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. But he really was. Jesus even said he was. But people thought maybe Jesus was Elijah. They said, well, maybe you're Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Or maybe one of the other ones. It was Peter who stood up and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And again, I, I really honestly... I think they were just starting to get it, but they really, really didn't have a complete handle on it. But I don't know about you, but I'm still left hanging a little bit. I mean, after all, it's been 2,000 years plus that Jesus walked the earth. And I want to know who he is. And see, we come up with names, and, and <clears throat> that's the problem, you know. We, and, and I've taught a class uh, on names of God, I remember when I first came, there were, there were banners up here. We've had uh, somebody else taught a class on the names of God, and that's, that's all well and good, and that's wonderful. I think we need to know the names of God. And I think we come up with names for Jesus, but the only problem is with the name is it pigeonholes somebody. Because Jesus goes beyond any name. We even sang today, Jesus, Messiah. But he's more than that. Let's begin in Colossians chapter 1, the passage that Dave read earlier. He's the image of God. The invisible one. The firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and here on earth. Things we can see and things we cannot. Thrones and lordships and rulers and powers. All things were created both through him and for him. And he's ahead prior to all else. And in him all things hold together. If you remember I've said this on a number of occasions I also said, if in him all things hold together, outside of him all things fall apart. And he himself is supreme, the head over the body, the church. He's the start of it all, firstborn from realms of the dead. So in all things he might be the chief, 
For in him all the fullness was glad to dwell, and through him to reconcile all to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross. And through him, yes, things on earth and also the things in heaven. So we can read things like this and we say, he was a great storyteller. I mean, and I don't mean lies, I mean parables. He told all kinds of parables. We can say, oh man, he was compassionate. He would see people and he'd be moved in his heart and he would be moved to act. He would look at the invalid and see them. He wept with people and he consoled them. But let me give you a few things today. These are by all means not a complete list. You could probably come up with even a better list than I could. But let me tell you who Jesus at least is to me. And I want to ask you this question. Is he your companion in life? I know you may have significant others or grandchildren or children, but he's there in the middle of your life. Is he your companion? If he's confined to just uh, in Jesus' name, amen, then we're in trouble. I was reading in Philippians the other day and was reading a passage that I've read a thousand times before, but I was reading it in the Kingdom New Testament. Listen to what he says. Mind you, I've got good reason to trust in the flesh. And you remember this passage from Philippians. If anyone thinks they have reason to trust in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Race, Israelite, tribe, Benjamin. Descent, Hebrew, through and through. Torah observance, a Pharisee, zealous. I persecuted the church. Official status under the law, blameless. Does that sound as though my account was well in credit? Well, because of the Messiah. Maybe. But whatever I had written on the prophet side, I calculated it instead as a loss because of him. And yes, I know that's weird. But there's more. I calculate everything as a loss. Now listen to what he said. This is what caught my eye. Knowing King Jesus as my Lord is worth far more than everything else put together. My grandmother Garlow, my mom's mom, had multiple sclerosis. I've told you about her before. I never remember seeing her really walk. Her legs were bent and she would go from one object to the next just to get around. And sometimes she would slip. And I remember she would say, oh Lord. And my mother would fuss at her. She'd say, now mom, you're profaning the Lord's name. And my sweet grandmother would say, Oh no, I'm just calling on him for help. Do you call on Jesus for help? Is he truly your companion? Is he really 
there. Do you, and I don't know, here's a, a thing that I try to do sometimes. When I'm praying, if I'm, if I'm praying in my office, for instance, I have two chairs in there, and sometimes I see Jesus sitting in the chair. If I'm in the car, sometimes he's riding in the car, and I, I pray to him. Maybe we need to have him as our companion, one that's there through our entire life. And goes through those things with us. Which leads us to the next one. It's similar. But is he your friend? I, I often wonder. When my time comes. And Jesus looks upon me. Will he say, he's my friend. As Jesus was coming to the end of his life here on earth, <clears throat> he was talking to his apostles. In John chapter 15, he said, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And I have told you this so my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. I want you to do something for me. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that. I want you to think of your, your closest friend. Picture him or her in your mind's eye. <clears throat> what makes that person your friend? And I thought about this for a little bit. I thought maybe experiences. I've always felt like one of the things that makes people friends is history. I don't mean George Washington, you know, was first president of the United States. I'm talking about the things that you have been through with this person. When you talk to them on the phone, do you say, you remember the time when we, or how about when we did this, <laughs> man, we laughed and laughed. I want us to do that with Jesus. And one of the things that, that makes a, a good friend is communication. And we think sometimes Jesus is a close friend of mine, but how much do we talk to him? How much do we offer our prayers up to him? How much do we share our life with him? And you can say, Jim, it's there in plain sight. He can do whatever he wants with it. Can you imagine doing that to a friend of yours? An earthly friend? This best friend that you've been thinking about? You say, well, I'm going through some difficult things. Well, I don't need to tell him because it's right there in front of him. You wouldn't do that, would you? So why do we do that with Jesus? In this same passage that we used, Jesus says to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for you. He laid his life down for me. 
The Bible says you were bought at a price, and I know what that price was. One thing that I noticed, if we go back to this passage, it says, no, that's the wrong one. I keep going forward. One of these days I'm going to learn how to do this thing. Oh, well. Can y'all put it back where it was? <laughs> I love technology. That's why I typed this up and put it right here. You know. One of the things I noticed in that passage from John 15, it says, I have told you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. One of the reasons why we don't have joy is because we don't have this relationship with Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that our joy becomes complete. And so, is he your friend? Would you lay down your life for him? Because he laid down his life for you. But we come to the third one, which leads us to the next thing. Okay, guys. There we go. Has he changed your life? If there is nothing any different to you from the time of your commitment to Christ to now, I would say there's a problem. Has he made a difference in your life? How in the world can we change if we don't see him, if we can't see him? You know, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus uh, tells a story. He says, you know what? I was, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. I was sick. You took care of my needs. And people said, Lord, when did we see you like that? You remember what he said? He said, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Think about that for just a minute. When you stop and hold a door and hold it open for someone, you just held the door open for Jesus. If you let someone in front of you at the line at Target or the grocery store, You've done it for Jesus. If somebody drops something and you bend down and pick it up and hand it to them, you did it for Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you've done it for the least of these, my brethren, you've done it for me. And we say, Lord, we just can't see you. He's all around us. And he says, I want to make a difference in your life. You become more compassionate. You become more willing to serve as Jesus did. Look at Peter. I know Peter, you know, he, he just seemed to, to just get himself into trouble all the time. Lord, if it's you, let me come out there. Lord, I will never, ever deny you. Over and over and over again. And, and sometimes Peter got it right, sometimes he didn't. But look at the difference from Jesus' crucifixion from Peter before that time to Peter after that time. Look at Paul. Look at how he persecuted the church. In fact, the passage that we read from Philippians said, I had all these things 
I was following the law in the strictest sense. But he says, guess what? He says, now I follow him. It was all rubbish. It was not worthwhile at all. Our lives become different when we become Jesus followers. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The, the meaning of that is when Moses would, would go up on Mount Sinai, he'd come back down and the children of Israel would say, your face is glowing, please put a veil on. And Paul's talking here says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Each day we transform more and more into Jesus. Look for him. Look for him in the people of this church. Look for him in the, in the, the, the community. Look for him because he is out there. And in Romans chapter 8, he says, For those God foreknew, he'd predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So who is Jesus? He's everything. He's our confidant. He's our guide. He's our friend. And he is the one who changed our lives. And continues to change our lives each day. And so Jesus asks all of us today as he asked his disciples. But you. Who do you say that I am? I hope we can say he's our confidant, our friend, that he is our companion in life and that he has changed us. And every day we're getting more and more like him. I don't know about you, but I don't know how we could live another day without having Jesus by our side. We're going to sing an invitation song here in just a moment. Our shepherds and their wives will be at the back. If you have a prayer request, if you have something you're struggling with, maybe Jesus hasn't been a part of your life as you wished he would. Go talk to them. They'll be glad to pray with you. They'll be glad to, to serve and be with you and do whatever they can to help you. Or if you want the prayers of this church, you'd like for... For us to, as, a, as a body to pray with you. Jesus is the head of this church. Not me, not the elders. Jesus is the head of this church. And if you would like us to pray, we would be more than happy as a body of Jesus believers to pray with you. We would be more than happy to do that. Franklin's going to sing this song for us. And I, I pray that you will determined wherever you are, whether it's back in the back talking to one of our shepherds, whether it's coming forward, whether it's sitting in the pew, that you will become more and more of a friend to Jesus every day.
Would you come as we stand and sing? God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know And life is worth the living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know who holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives and then one day I'll cross that river I'll fight life's fight no war with pain and then as death gives way to victory I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns because he lives I can face tomorrow because he Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives.
I just realized I forgot the birthdays in December. Come back next week. We'll get you. I promise. Okay. I thought Roger was going to come and say a prayer, but uh... okay. Well, come on.